to the Vicor Powering Innovation Podcast, where we discuss world-changing innovations. I'm Steve Germino, and I'm here with my co-host, Joe Ducey. So, Joe, this was another terrific episode uh, of our Powering Innovation Podcast. You know, if you're curious about edge computing, I mean, you're in for a treat. This is really like a short course in edge computing, and may add from a great teacher, Fred Bowning, the CTO of Hiro. He really knows his stuff, and he explains things in a terrific way that you can really understand it. I didn't know a lot about edge computing, and this really helped me to, to push it to the next level of understanding. I mean, he shares kind of what's driving it, you know, speed, security, latency issues, and surprisingly, data privacy issues is, is something I didn't realize. And so when I think of edge computing, I think the promise of smart cities, maybe autonomous vehicles, you know, really things that live on the edge. But kind of what's your take on computing or edge computing? And looking into your crystal ball, where do you see this going? Well, I mean, first of all, I have to let everyone know that I'm a huge Aerosmith fan. So the first I heard, Living on the Edge, all I could envision is Steven Tyler at the mic singing Living on the Edge. But <laughs> You're really dating yourself there. I am, I am. But he's still relevant. But in reality, if you look at that phrase, Living on the Edge, you know, first... You know, it was all about the cloud and centralized computing and storage. You know, and, and now because of the amount of data needed locally for these data-rich applications, like you mentioned, like autonomous vehicles, in the cases we'll talk about later, medical surgery, things are shifting to a more decentralized or edge model, as we're discussing. And that's basically eliminating the data latency and security challenges and a lot of the privacy challenges that are inherent to cloud computing. Not to mention the, the real cost savings that can result from storing data locally on edge servers as opposed to in a centralized data center out in the middle of Colorado somewhere. Yeah, you know, I think that's kind of a good summary of where things are at today. And what's really interesting is that Hiro is doing their part to make this vision a reality. So they kind of have that experience. They have this micro data center product that is like the size of a shoebox. It can be placed in remote rural locations or in urban city locations and used anywhere. And the key to that, that box, that shoe size box, that micro data center is power modules. You know, power modules are small, power dense and very efficient. So it really makes for a clean signal and a very powerful opportunity to, to process the gobs of data that they really need to process these days. And Fred really makes a good case as why you'd go micro versus macro. Rather than having a, a large data center on premise, you can really use these micro data centers much more efficiently. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll be completely honest with you. I don't really fully understand the, you know, the detailed inner workings of, of edge computing, but like you said earlier, Fred is a great teacher, and based on the information that he shared with us, edge computing really potentially could solve a lot of the problems that we're seeing now with these mega data centers that are popping up all around the world. From an insatiable appetite for more and more electrical power, that's placing a greater strain on the already taxed electrical grid, as we all know, to the negative impact that they're having on our global environment in terms of global warming and water usage. There's a, there's a whole host of environmental issues that these data centers are representing that you know, edge computing could potentially solve. Yeah, you really hit on a lot of topics right there. That's a, really a great tease and lead into this terrific podcast. So why don't we turn it over to, to David and Fred and listen in to hear what they have to say. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Fred Bowning, who is the founder and CTO of Hiro Microdata Centers. And today we're going to talk about edge computing 
and some of the interesting stuff that Fred and his team have been working on. Welcome, Fred. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. I'd like to jump right in and ask you to describe for us what exactly is edge computing? Yeah, interesting, interesting question. So you need to consider that cloud computing came first, right? So the hyperscalers, and, and if you look on the internet, that's what you see, describe cloud as the ultimate solution for everything, which in the beginning it was because there was not much alternatives out there. And they also defined edge computing. So basically they said any device out there that gets connected to the internet can talk to the cloud upload their data there, it's getting processed, and we send the information or whatever the outcome is back to the edge device. Now, in theory, that sounds very nice, but if you look at the infrastructure investment costs and the latency that that creates, that's not a viable solution for the future. So we in Europe uh, started talking about powerful edge, and powerful edge basically starts at the device. And from the device, you look at what is the first hop into the internet, and actually, could you start processing the data there? And in a very short loop, you feed the, the, the processing outcome back to the device. Now, that's a completely different approach where cloud and edge is more hub and spoke. And the powerful edge that we talk about is much more a distributed infrastructure that sits in the edge and processes all the data there. So the bulk of the processing isn't really done in the cloud at that point. It's done much closer to where the data is actually used. Exactly. So what are then the big benefits? You mentioned latency. So I imagine things that are very time critical would be really important to have some kind of edge solution. Yeah, absolutely. So it's latency. The second part is, so imagine if you have a smart factory, right? And you do a lot of automation there and a lot of processing, a lot of AI on the edge devices and robotics in your manufacturing process. You don't, well, many of the, let's say, manufacturers are a little bit afraid of uploading their data and especially their models of how they run their processes into a cloud infrastructure. Cloud can be very secure, but at the same time, if the security gets breached, a lot of users are going to be affected. Now, if you have your own infrastructure on the edge, let's say the, the, the risk is much lower, right? And so that is another concern that you can basically organize your own security. Another aspect in Europe is data privacy. So certain data needs to reside within the country where it is produced. So that means not all cloud providers can be servicing those those edge customers. So it's latency, it is privacy. A third aspect is also scalability. So as companies and institutions start to implement more AI and process more of their big data, they want to scale slowly with their infrastructure. And so, of course, in the cloud, you can slowly scale in terms of hardware, but if you move your data to the cloud and want to pull it back out again, the costs are very high. And there are already some examples being shared on the internet where companies or institutions have moved back from cloud to the edge and have saved millions in terms of the running costs. So when you look at the future, scaling slowly in your infrastructure and building your own infrastructure in the end will save you a lot of money. 
Now, the challenge is this one. People are spoiled by the cloud because cloud you get as a service, right? You don't have to buy hardware. You don't need to hire people to run the software, et cetera, the infrastructure software. So the future of edge needs to be edge as a service where you basically achieve the same type of service levels that you get in the cloud, but then on-premise. So it's interesting. Those are all incredibly compelling reasons, but you just mentioned it has to be on-premise. So now all of a sudden your hardware, which was off in some decentralized location, now all of a sudden you're bringing that on board. And you mentioned things like a a smart factory. And I would imagine that you're going to be hard-pressed to find necessarily the space that you need to put these systems. But in addition, the environment may not be an environment that is conducive to having a high-performance computing system in place. So how do you address that? How do you address the fact that it's going to take up more space on-site and potentially in a harsher environment? Yeah, so it cannot take more space. So the let's say the traditional, um, let's say, small data center that organizations would have in their building with a room that uh, the temperature is controlled and cold aisle and warm aisle, that is not a solution, right? Even if it's brought on-premise as a service, it requires too much maintenance in uh, removing or exchanging spinning disks or fans that are broken. So the hardware needs to be much more also on-premise distributed. So that's why we are designing those new data centers that are basically a data center in a box, highly dense, let's say five times more dense than the hardware you would find in a normal data center, fully solid state, so no spinning parts in the servers, and highly highly durable, protected against an environmental, so wide temperature. All those aspects need to be taken into account when you design those type of micro data centers. We hear a lot about data centers consuming a significant amount of power. Does that mean that these more centralized, more localized data centers, these micro data centers, they're also creating a bit of a power draw on premises? Yeah, but the power draw is not significant compared to the overall power that a factory is is consuming, Mm -hmm. right? So it's negligible. But I think what is important is this. We as manufacturers or suppliers of edge of a surface do have a responsibility, right? So even though I don't have a hyperscale data center where I provide my service, but I have all these data centers, these small ones installed in factories and smart hospitals and cities, I still have a responsibility to make my hardware as energy efficient as possible. And especially at the edge, because if you look at the PUE, which is power utilization effectiveness, that is, let's say, a a benchmark that is being used in the data centers, the average PUE you find in a smart factory is around 1.6, 1.8, which means for every watt that a server consumes, the processor and the memories, you need 60% more on top of that to get rid of the heat. So the you know, that's that's quite energy inefficient. I think a Google data center is down to 1.18, 1.2. So having the hardware on-premise still, you know, you need to, to live up to that challenge to be very energy efficient. So in one of the projects where we developed this hardware, we're down to a PUE of 1.03. So on-premise, we, we save almost 57% of the energy consumption. Now for a smart factory, 
basically they don't care, right, compared to the whole energy consumption that a factory has. But for us, as a service provider, it does count for all those factories where we install our data centers. Pretty impressive that you can get down to such a low efficiency and consuming so little power. How do you do that? So there's two parts to that. Imagine hardware is basically, servers are basically, they're not consuming uh, electricity, they're using electricity to process data, right? And that electricity is then, because of the components, turned into heat. So all, all electricity that goes into a server is turned into heat. Or if you have a spinning disk, there's also some, some spinning being done. So by making the server smaller, the distance between the components becomes smaller. So you produce less heat because the traces are shorter. Mm. That's one part. The second part is converting, let's say, electricity from AC to DC. So there's a lot of, in the traditional data center design, which is going from big power lines to 12 watts on a server board, there's a lot of conversion being done and each conversion creates losses. Now, if you could minimize the amount of conversions within the data center or within the server, that also saves you energy. And the final part is that you, in the cooling solution, use less energy. So we have a fully passive cooling solution that is gravity driven. So we don't have any spinning fans or spinning pump or anything. And it's purely uh, the gravity that we have of the earth that drives the fluid going through the servers and taking out the heat. And that is, I think, in the whole cooling solution that saves you 40%. That's fascinating. You've done a lot of work on the hardware side. Can you talk a little bit about the software side of things? Because obviously that must be a critical component to these edge computing systems. Yeah. A distributed infrastructure is different than, like I explained, a hub and spoke infrastructure. So imagine all those data centers being installed in, a let's say, a smart city. Now, a smart city has a certain dynamic, right? We wake up in the morning, we watch TV, watch the news, business news or whatever has been going on. Then we jump in our car, a smart car starts to talk to the network. We arrive at work, which is probably a different district in the smart city. We, you know, we use the network there to process all our data. In the evening, we go home, we watch some TV or do some gaming. So that all those processes create a different load on the infrastructure that cannot be managed manually. So if you have infrastructure as a service, the infrastructure needs to be intelligent enough to understand what processes are going on, which of those workloads can be postponed or which ones have high priority. And also because the infrastructure is spread out throughout the city, we might move some of the data or the workloads to a different part of the city that at that moment does not have much work to do. So what the big cloud providers do in their hyperscale data center, we need to orchestrate this in a similar way in a, in a dispersed geographical setting. And, and that can only be done by artificial intelligence. So everybody is talking about AI these days, um, and generative AI in particular. Is that what's going on in these uh, micro data centers? Uh, that's, so generative AI is uh, definitely an interesting concept. We're, we're looking at the moment at, at 
two types of AI, well, three types. You have the traditional AI and machine learning. We look at swarm technologies. So if you look at, for example, the flocking of a group of birds, how they collectively, based on very simple principles, organize themselves in order to fend off a predator or collect food, etc. Those are some of the mechanisms that we're implementing right now in a project. It's called the uh, ACES project, where we developed uh, swarm technologies to organize the orchestration of workloads in a, in a distributed infrastructure. And the generative AI, we, found, we find that part very interesting when it comes to understanding the user or the end user. So when end users start to interact with the infrastructure, we need generative AI to be able to understand their questions and to provide solid answers. Some of the ways that generative AI now is being used on the internet. So it's my understanding that a lot of AI systems, there, there are two parts to it, and you can correct me if I'm if I'm misspeaking here. There's there's training a model, and then there's actually <laughs> using the model in real time. Yeah. Yeah. Is is that am I oversimplifying that? And is that what's going on in the edge computing systems, the no, using of the model correct. or the training of the model? It's very correct. So, but but there's one distinction, or they, let's say the field is moving on. So. Cloud providers are providing large infrastructures to train large models. But in the meantime, also very small models are being developed that can be trained and implemented on edge devices. So there's no need to go to a large data center. You could orchestrate that training and collection of data locally, right? So the car that drives every day from your house to work and do some shopping and and maybe have some leisure time in the weekend. The intelligence it needs is within a very small geography. So the model is quite small and the sharing of those models in a, in a certain part of the city doesn't need to go to a, a distant data center. That could be facilitated by local infrastructure. And the example of the car is just one. Basically, it goes for all the edge devices Imagine that most of the edge devices, let's say, pool 80% of the relevant data within maybe a one or two kilometer radius. So why move all that data to a distant data center to train a model and then move it back? Why can't we organize it locally? Interesting. Can we talk a little bit then about applications? You, you already brought up the idea of driving, of almost autonomous driving. But what about other applications in other industries? If I recall correctly, your systems are used in hospitals. Can you talk a little bit about that, how they're used and why they're used? Yeah. So we are collaborating with a hospital in Rotterdam that does that is, is developing the surgery room of the future. And the group that we're working with does brain surgery. Now, the interesting thing about brain surgery, it's very high tech, is that whatever scan you make of the brain, the moment you start the surgery and open up the skull, the brain starts to move because it's kind of like a, a pressurized vessel. So whatever imagery you have before the operation does not reflect the real setting of the brain during the operation. So you need some real-time imaging while the surgeon is doing an operation. Now that requires so much data that you need to process it locally. Not only process it locally to create the imagery, but then turn it into, uh, let's say, an augmented reality image that the surgeon, while they're doing surgery, gives them the right information to make the right, let's say, interventions in the brain, cutting away tissue or making an intervention. 
Fascinating. So this is being developed, as you said, in the hospital of the future. Are there any other medical or healthcare applications? Yeah, so there's another application that we're looking at. So the previous one, the brain surgery, is where you you go on-premise and process all the data there. When you talk about AI being used in the medical field, uh, so we're starting a project where we train AI models with data collected in various hospitals to do cardiovascular research. So to be to support the cardiovascular doctors and making an analysis of a patient and also predicting the treatment plan. Now, the challenge uh, in Europe is that we have is that all the medical data needs to stay on premise in the hospital. And to train the AI model, the, the data cannot leave uh, the, the hospital. So what we do is we move the AI model across the various hospitals to be trained. And we do that for all kinds of different models that support cardiovascular treatment. For that, we are also building infrastructure. And that's um, in that project, we develop one, the infrastructure, of course, and the services. But there's another dimension to it, which I think is going to be the game changer in Europe, and that is data spaces. So in Europe, we came up with the concept where we say, okay, data spaces are a virtual environment where stakeholders with a, let's say, shared interest, share data sets and AI models. So they can help each other train their AI and train their AI to become better. And those data spaces, since they're virtual, can stretch across countries. They can stretch around the city. It's basically, it can have every, any dimension, but the space being designed and, and run on an infrastructure needs to be secure. Stakeholders need to be managed, etc. So that is going to be um, a big, let's say, game changer for infrastructure in Europe. So it sounds like, uh, it sounds like crowdsourcing for, uh, for AI. It sounds fascinating. Yeah, exactly. What about in, you mentioned, we've talked a little bit about smart factories. Uh, is this uh, being used for things like, we hear a lot about digital twins in factories and things like that. Is that where this is being used or, or how is it being used in these smart factories? Yeah, so so we're developing your, like I mentioned earlier, powerful edge, which means being able to process big data and train AI models at the edge. And part of AI will be a digital twin, where basically you run a small or a large digital twin, depending on how you slice it, uh, within a certain environment. And the digital twin will basically allow the AI to, in a virtual space, test out different scenarios. For that, you need fast compute, but also uh, fast storage. And the digital twin needs to be continuously updated with data from the edge. So that's also one of the reasons why you would run a digital twin on-premise. Well, this is all very fascinating. Thank you very much for, for walking us through and sharing some of the insights, and, and in particular, the, the use, uh, the fact that this is used to for things as wide ranging as brain surgery and uh, in a factory and, and driving is, is really fascinating. And it really puts you in a really nice spot, especially since there's so much focus on the cloud. It really brings to bear the fact that there are still a lot of complexities in the cloud around uh, data privacy, reliability, uh, latency, things like that, where it really sounds like edge computing and your micro data centers really make a significant difference and are really quite innovative. So thank you very much for, for spending the time today and, and sharing all those insights with us.
Thank you very much for having me. Great. Well, thank you. So, Joe, this really felt like an edge computing 101 course. I mean, the way Fred can explain things so clearly, concisely, I mean, I'm not that smart, and he was just able to explain some real basic concepts that really helped me take it to the next level and at least help me understand, you know, the future of technology and where this stuff is going. One of the things I was aware of is how data centers are so power intensive. So I'm really glad that David kind of, you know, directly addressed the question of data center power consumption and really what the difference is in, in how he's going to be uh, addressing that with, with his system. I mean, that really is a hot topic right now in terms of, you know, environmental issues and whatnot. Yeah, it is really a hot topic. But the more important point is I like how you worked hot topic and that's very clever of you. So very nice, very nice work. But uh, but the other thing I want to talk about very quickly is this whole concept of Pew. Now, if any, anybody hasn't heard Pew, I just like saying Pew because of the word Pew. But uh, I think it has something to do with that potty talk it, thing. It though. is. It is. I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm right. guilty right. of it. But but actually, yeah. Pew, which is P-U-E, is an acronym, and it stands for Power Utilization Effectiveness. And basically, it's a measure of, of how efficient these, these mega data centers are. But to that, to that point, and then, and then as, as we all know, I like giving stats. I'm kind of a stat geek. But it's estimated that data centers around the world, now this is global consumption, is estimated to be 1.5% of the global electricity demand. And that by itself is staggering. But in addition to that, every year it's going to be going up exponentially with the introduction of artificial intelligence. So as we all know, artificial intelligence is becoming more popular. And because of its popularity, it's driving up more demand. And, and that's what's that's creating this, this, this global electricity demand. But one of the major problems with increased electrical demand is excessive heat. So that generates more heat. So the more electricity you use, one of the major byproducts of electricity is heat loss. So what happens is that drives a big demand on, on the overall data center. But the other staggering number is that within that number of 1.5%, 40% of that electricity is actually used to cool the data center, which is huge, right? So if you could, if yeah. you could, if you could mm -hmm. eliminate that or a portion of that, you could save a ton of electricity and a ton of money. But, and, and it's really kind of a vicious cycle. But the idea that Fred presented, which I thought was fascinating because I do have a kind of a mechanical engineering background, is the concept of this thing called gravity-fed cooling. And they use this in the edge microcenters. So... And it's called, there's a, there's a term they have for it, it's called thermosiphoning. So using physics and using gravity, they're actually able to cool the system so you don't necessarily need to provide electricity to the motors that provide the coolant, and then you save all the electricity and the heat associated with that and all the other auxiliary pumps and equipment that you need to support a cooling system. So by doing gravity-fed system, it's just, it's mother nature removing the heat. And I think um, if we're able to scale that up, to the size of a data center. You could just imagine how much energy and, and how much overall heat we would save. Yeah, and that's that really leads into the other topic that he addressed, which was generative AI, because generative AI really is probably one of the most power-intensive applications that's out there. And for those that don't know, we're all familiar with ChatGPT, and we get on the system and we put in a query and something spits it, you know, it spits out an answer for us. But the generative AI is really the processing on ordering and, and training the, the data before you even send that query out, because that data needs to be ordered in some way so it can respond accordingly to the query. Now, 
what I understand is that can take literally months of data centers cranking and cranking constantly 24-7. So I love the fact that Fred was able to offer some new ways, some cutting edge ways to save on power, but also he lent some nice color to what generative AI is, some good solutions, as well as some other topics as well. Yeah, I think we'll all agree that we're kind of in uncharted waters with AI because it's really at the very beginning of its development, even though you know, we're using it more often every day. I mean, thank God that it, I have ChatGPT because otherwise I wouldn't be able to do my job. So, um, so that certainly helps me on a daily basis. But that's just one example of how people are using artificial intelligence. But what I found interesting that Fred was talking about, some of the new terminology associated with AI, and, and one of the phrases that stuck out in my mind was this thing called AI swarm technology. Now, it was intriguing and in one way and frightening on the other because I'm deathly allergic to bees. So I don't want to get near, near any swarms, <laughs> but, but this one is safe, so I don't get stung by it. But swarm technologies, it's funny, it's, it's designed so it mimics nature. So like a flock of birds, we've all seen birds change direction like instantaneously, and they all do the same thing, and fish, and herds of animals. So what AI is doing is it's trying, it's trying to use nature to develop itself or learn better. And a good example of that is, say, for instance, if in a smart city, so each building has a data center, edge data center, and say the basement of that building. So we look at a city as a grid. So with a vehicle, like an autonomous vehicle, obviously it doesn't have a person in it. It's basically making decisions instantaneously based on data from sensors that are going from the car to the computer and from the computer back to the car and then from the computer to another computer. So there's a lot of data being exchanged in milliseconds. If you consider a city as a grid, an autonomous vehicle is making its way down the road and it's, it's in a certain grid. That information is now being fed from the vehicle to the data center and back to that vehicle, but at the same time, it's also being shared with another edge computer, which is in another grid, which are the vehicles going to be crossing into. So they need to know in advance if there's any obstacles in the way, pedestrians, cars, what the weather conditions are, or the road slippery. I mean, there is so much data that needs to be consumed by a vehicle to make it safe. You know, using edge computing, they're able to learn from one another from data point to data point. So they're sharing data constantly with themselves in addition to the thousands of vehicles that they have in their control. So you can see this is that concept of collective intelligence that they're working on. And this type of thing you could not achieve using the traditional data center because the latency would just be too great. Now that's a really great example. I mean, I think you painted a nice picture of a practical application and really how complex it is and what's taking place behind the scenes and probably what we take for granted for autonomous vehicles and how they operate, right? Well, that's the other aspect of what is so great about Fred's presentation is he really, it's not just theory for him. I mean, they have some practical applications that are out there in the field. And, you know, they're part of this, what's called as an acronym, it's called BRAINY Consortium. And BRAINY stands for big data processing and artificial intelligence at the network edge. And this is a European consortium. And what they're really trying to do is advance edge computing, but in a very practical sense, right? And they have these applications around supply chain and education, smart city, IoT, all the things that you'd imagine. But the one that really jumped out on me that they're currently using today, their micro data centers currently are in the operating rooms and they are assisting with brain surgery. That just blows my mind, Joe. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, brain surgery is like the perfect poster child for edge computing because 
you really need to assess situations in the real time with precision and accuracy, and really to be able to make life-changing decisions measured in milliseconds. Because, you know, as you open the skull, and I'm getting nauseous just thinking about it, but as you open, <laughs> as you open the skull, you see the brain, and, and that thing is not, I mean, it's not stable, right? It's moving, it's, it, it, it's shifting. And, and, and as we all know, brain surgery is an extremely dangerous type of operation because of the precision that's needed. But if you look at the old data center model, that data, if you were using a data center, that data center is, you know, information is going back and forth, you know, across the country, across the world, wherever that's being processed and coming back. That's impossible, right? It's impossible to do that because the latency is just too, too great. But now you introduce edge computing, like you were saying, Steve, and edge computing now, you have that information locally. You have it right, you know, potentially in the next room. So you don't have that communication delay. So, you know, the edge computing allows these surgeons to work, you know, very quickly, very accurately, whereas before they wouldn't be able to do that. And my biggest fear, if I was a patient, would be sitting, you know, lying in the operating room. Of course, you'd be knocked out. But if you're sitting there and watching this, all of a sudden, you know, the computer, there's a screen, and all of a sudden it comes up and says, buffering, please stand by. I mean... <laughs> what, I mean, obviously, the doctor's going to go, what do I do? I mean, I, I can't continue the operation. But obviously, that's an exaggeration. But I think that illustrates very clearly the importance of having data more locally as opposed to housed somewhere in some data center and, you know, a thousand miles away. No, no, you're right. That's, <laughs> that's a great description. And uh, I guess my only response to it is mind-blowing. Uh, no pun intended there. Very but, clever. Uh, You've been very clever. I, <laughs> <laughs> so... No, really, that's a great example of, of what's going on there. And I got to say, I still wouldn't want to be on that operating table with data being transferred maybe thousands of miles away. So thanks for that description. But this has been great. I feel like I'm ready for the intermediate class. I really want to thank David and Fred for their great podcast. But that is all we have time for for today. So thanks for listening to the Vicor Powering Innovation Podcast. So until next time, I'm Steve Germino with my co-host Joe Ducey. Thanks for tuning in to the Vicor Powering Innovation Podcast. Mm-hmm.